What's up, everyone? Before we get started, I just want to remind you, if you haven't given this show a rating, you can on Apple, Spotify, and the other platforms you're listening at. It would mean so much to me if you did. The good news is it only takes 60 seconds. Thank you so much for listening, and let's begin. You are the answer to everything. You are still running the show. You are still the ultimate decision maker. So without you, the business would not run, period. You're now tuned in to Tender Love and Cash, the place where ambitious men and women turn to for business strategies that not only skyrocket their profits, but also position them to serve the masses and make money doing what they love. I'm Amber Anthony, profit booster, efficiency driver, strategy specialist, and lover of all things analytical. And I'm going to help demystify difficult topics and concepts, crunch the numbers, and use real data to craft a strategic approach that supports business owners with a solid framework to operate a well-planned cash generating machine. I can't promise to tell you what you want to hear, but I'll guarantee you'll get the guidance you need to hear to launch, grow, and build the business of your dreams with confidence. Let's dive in. Today, I'd like to talk to you about what I just learned about leverage 48 hours ago. Yeah, I was this many years old when I realized that there there was a whole other meaning to the word leverage. Prior to hearing what I heard, which I'm about to share with you, I thought that leverage was influence, pressure, or money. So when I thought of somebody having leverage over me or over a situation, I thought that it was due to one of those things, influence, pressure, or money. I was listening to a business podcast the other day, Alex Hermosi, and he explained that when he learned about leverage, by his billionaire mentor, it was explained to him in the following way. At the time, he had eight gyms that he was franchising. He was executing on his strategy. In his mind, he was at the top of his game. When his mentor said to him, Alex, you have a skill set of a 10, but an opportunity at a two. And it dawned on me. It dawned on me that leverage also means opportunity. And in this case, what could have been missed opportunity for Alex Hermosi, and frankly, what has been missed opportunity for me, because I didn't really understand that opportunities, even though they may be excellent in our mind, they may be meaningful. They may be what we think we can turn into something, but again, at what cost, over what period of time, and then is it really maximizing our potential or our skill set? I think it's probably very common for most of us to be underemployed and underutilized. I know that's a fact for me. 
I used to walk around saying, seeking a challenge, stating out loud that the job or the project or the function that I was working in was only using 10% of my brain or ability. Now, full transparency, even though I knew and at this point, honestly, know that's a reality, I don't have a strategy for myself. I look out and I see others doing things, but nothing has really clicked to me because to be honest with you, I've never viewed life as having leverage. All of my personal and professional endeavors have never really been about me, never about me serving self, serving my ego, serving my desires, none of that. It was always showing up in a response to honor something or somebody else which I'm not regretful for. I have built an insane amount of skills along the way, and I have done an incredible amount of good along the way, for which I am grateful for. But I guess if you were to ask me in comparison to the example I gave you about having a 10 skill set and a leverage two opportunity, truth is, you know, humbly, I have an eight skill set And I'm probably at the moment at a negative one opportunity because the last 20 years, my identity, my businesses, et cetera, you know, it's something that I've mastered and it's hit the ceiling for at least what my vision has allowed it to get to. And I've had a hard time expanding that vision. You know, I have several boring businesses, as Cody Sanchez would say, all of them running optimally, all of them running profitably, all of them serving the community, great reputations, and the individuals that work within the businesses, for the most part, you know, are getting what they want out of it. It's completely aligned. And that was important to me. So these businesses that have been created have allowed you know, mothers to stay at home with their kids or have the flexibility or, you know, be able to work when it's convenient or at their pace or within their areas of genius, not forcing them to do different types of roles or responsibilities that they don't shine in, that they don't feel confident in. So I do have and run and mastermind these organizations Again, to be considerate of the individuals within the organizations, ensuring profitability and efficiency, but no huge vision for it to be, you know, a billion dollar company, an opportunity 10. And so for any of you aspiring business owners who are still operating the business, who are hoping one day to be an actual owner and not an operator, Let's dive into the type of leverage you need to start thinking about and preparing for. There's always a constraint in a business. And oftentimes for founders, you are the constraint, respectfully. The reason I say that is because many founders that I know, myself included, before I became aware of this, is you are the answer to everything. You are still running the show you are still the ultimate decision maker. So you have a bunch of minions running around that either can't make decisions on their own or you won't allow them to make decisions on their own. So without you, the business would not run, period. And I don't think that's really the goal. 
that any of us set out for. And many of the entrepreneur founders that I know, after doing it for 20, 30 years, they bitch and moan and complain. Ah, you know, why can't anybody do things right? You, You know, just miserable with where they're at. And they've hit their ceiling. The business is not growing. The business has been maintaining for five, six, seven years. And the only thing that's going up are the expenses. And they don't have an exit strategy. They don't have a succession plan. But at the same time, they also won't stop, take some time off, create systems and processes and standard operating procedures. And I know that's the boring work, you know, but at the end of the day, to create something in a binder, well, let me give you a perfect example, because this isn't just in small businesses with entrepreneurial founders. When I first went to work for the city as a court clerk, obviously I was trained by so-and-so, but there was no handbook. There was no step one through 10. So while she was training me, I am almost certain that it was not identical to the way perhaps somebody else was trained, maybe by her or maybe by somebody else. So nothing was identical. So policies and procedures were sometimes interpreted differently or not interpreted at all, depending again on the level of awareness and also the level of retention of the trainee. So there was no quality assurance. There were no checklists. There were no tests to ensure proficiency in the area. It was get trained, off you go, and when you make a mistake, you get a warning. And then when you make another mistake, you get written up. And then depending on the supervisor who's on the shift will determine whether or not that was deemed as a mistake or not a mistake, right? You can see how frustrating that is. So if that is a government organization that doesn't have policy written, mind you, that governs individuals on a criminal level, you would think that something would be written down in a book, no? Like, if so-and-so misses their court date, between this date range, this is what they're eligible for, period. Black and white, no gray area, or comma, asterisk. If there is a deviation, it would fall under these circumstances. Subheader one, two, three, four, five. But at least there would be a reference not only to protect the employee, the court clerk, who was being the administrator of this legal matter on behalf of the municipality, but also to protect the other party. No, nothing, nothing written, no handbook. Hey, gonna take a quick break to say, if you'd like to DM or message me any questions you have about some of the topics I talk about in the show, just hit me up on any of my socials linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and let's get back to the show. And so again, when an individual would make a mistake, depending on who deemed it as a mistake or an oversight, you know, they would be reprimanded. And before you know it, HR and then the union get involved. But then what are we defending here? Where is the standard operating procedure? Where is it in writing saying that you could do this or couldn't do that? It's nowhere. It's a gray area. It's up for interpretation. And so for those of you who start your businesses, 
hire people, onboard people, have them working for you. What kind of boss are you? You know, do you explain it to the best of your ability? But of course, more than likely, you're spread extremely thin and you're just looking for any type of help. So you can keep driving the top line, making the sales. You didn't really sit down and go through everything thoroughly. You may have missed some steps. Fast forward several months, employee misses a step, ends up costing money, ends up losing a client because of it, and you're furious. Now, employee may or may not know that they can potentially defend themselves and say, hey, sidebar, you didn't cover this. But oftentimes that doesn't happen, especially in a fast-growing company. You know, it's all hands on deck and everybody is doing the very best they can with the information that they have, with the tools that they have. But when something goes wrong, of course, the situation becomes very reactionary because, again, you can't afford to lose revenue. You can't afford to lose a client. But instead of before hiring any team members, making sure that your ducks are in a row, making sure that you have roles and responsibilities, standard operating procedures, policies, things written down, checklists, checks and balances, and reminders, it's not important. Because that's the operations that always seems to come second or third to the sales. But it's not fair to the employee. It's not fair to the clients. And it's also not fair to you. But I don't know if you know this. If you, in fact, are guilty of this or have followed this path, what you ended up doing was creating B players. They didn't stand a chance to be A players. And the fact of the matter is, it's really hard for a business to grow and be great and sustain with B players. Because after a while, all the trying in the world, it gets old. It gets frustrating. There are people too. They get tired of having to say, yes, I know this is ass backwards, but this is what it is. I've asked management to do this or fix this several times under their breath and nobody gives a fuck. But here we are, and I'm expected to whirl and twirl and provide world-class service. But how can I, when this has been broken or that has been broken, or this process doesn't happen or our complaint department doesn't return any emails? Yes, I know you've called 10 times. I've escalated it to my manager. Yes, my manager is in. No, I'm so sorry they haven't responded. Yes, I apologize. Yes, I'll forward the email. Yes, you can leave another voicemail. I don't know who else you want to talk to. Nobody's available. Now, it gets old. And I get it. You're a single person trying to run a business, possibly acquiring these skills for the first time as well. So obviously being able to communicate this to your team as if we're in this together. You're learning. I'm learning. Let's learn together. Let's be great. But for the most part, a lot of founder owners will see that as weakness or see that as a potential liability that a team member can exploit. But what I do know, because I've been in rooms where I've heard the back talk, the under the breath talk, where I've seen team members and employees get so disgruntled that they start to do some real shady shit. They all say all of this could have been avoided if somebody actually cared. And so when I think about that at present, it does go back to the reality that all of us have a certain skill set and all of us make a decision to place ourselves within an opportunity. And so whether you're an owner, a partner, a team member, et cetera, I encourage you to vet these opportunities, to 
basically do a valuation. And this is advice that I'm giving myself because I've never looked at life this way. I think it's important to sit down and decide, you know what, if I'm going to spend X amount of time dedicating X, you know, what is the result that I want? And it doesn't have to be money because a lot of us can put ourselves and pigeonhole ourselves into an opportunity that has a ceiling, you know, and the new thing is, of course, you know, leave your job every two or three years, get a 20% raise over the course of time, you'll make X amount of dollars more. I've never personally played that game. I know it's a game to be played. Again, can't speak to it, haven't done it. But I definitely think that it's important to be valuing opportunities and making sure if you are the person who wants to keep climbing, to keep building skills, to to keep being great, then you definitely have to leverage your opportunities. And then, of course, there's a group of individuals who are just fine doing the same old, same old, day in, day out, year after year. But as an employer, are they a B player? Is that person who's been with you, who has a good heart, who's loyal, who's dependable, are they in fact holding the company back? Are they contaminating the team? Do you make excuses for them? That's really the biggest indicator. If you as a manager or business owner are talking shit to your spouse about your employee, about how they effed up, did this, wasted your time, lost you money, et cetera, et cetera. And number one, don't tell them, but worse. And number two, do not create and provide and execute an action plan for them to become proficient in their job to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Don't cry when your business is not growing as fast as it could. Don't cry when you're cleaning up messes over and over and over again and having the same conversations over and over and over again about the same mistakes. And even worse, making excuses, taking roles away from that individual and piling on somebody else that may be capable, but still keeping that person in their job with their salary and then just creating busy work for them because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You're squandering your opportunity now. You're taking your higher level opportunity and diminishing it by doing that. You know, and the individuals that I consult are running service businesses anywhere from a top line of 3 million to 20 million a year. And those individuals are great at sales. They're great at networking. They're great at sales. They're great at closing. But the majority of those individuals who I consult, their weakness is building a team that are a players that they can depend on for efficiency and proficiency. And many of them are quite guilty of building a team and turning it into family. And of course, on social media, all the memes, if your job calls you family, it's super toxic. You know, if you've gotten to the point where it operates like a family and everybody's eating and feeding like a family and there's a lot of kumbaya going on and no real conversations, like I said, you're going home and complaining to your spouse about your team as opposed to fixing the problem. Yeah, and it's definitely a recipe for disaster. So I wanted to put this on your radar. If this is you, admit it, fix it. Truth be told, you may have to dismantle everything, start over, 
You may have to work double time, overtime to build, rebuild a solid foundation that is transparent, that is step-by-step, that gives your team members confidence, it gives them a roadmap, a blueprint to succeed. So that time off that you've earned, maybe reallocate, get those binders going, build those systems and processes and standard operating procedures, not to be a micromanager, again, but to provide a blueprint, a framework for everybody in your organization to win so they can not only set themselves up for success, but the organization as well. 